have any of you ever experienced, and my guess is if you have children, the answer would be yes. Have you ever experienced when you have asked your children to do something and they look at you and they say, no. I often think about the um, fallen nature because it doesn't take long for a child, uh, even maybe a toddler, to look at you and say, no. I remember the first time that Chris looked at me and said, with those big blue eyes, emphatically, no. And I thought, wait a minute. I'm the adult, and you're the child, and you're supposed to do what I tell you to do. And I'm not sure how y'all handled that when it happened to you, but I remember exactly how I handled that the first time it happened. I was trying to make uh, an impression upon him that that, no, was not acceptable. Um, I wonder what God thinks when we say no. Because you see, obedience, obedience is at the heart of faithful Christian living. I want to say that again. Obedience is at the heart of faithful Christian living. Obedience demands for us to exercise the will under God's prompting through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, just as salvation comes into our life, as we are prompted by the Holy Spirit to come to faith in Jesus Christ, so the prompting of the Holy Spirit prompts us in obedience, that obedient living. Now, you've heard the phrase, let go and let God. And, and that's a good thing, can be a good thing, that we let go and let God have his way with us. But letting God have his way does not mean that we stop that we don't do anything. You don't put your life in neutral when you let God have his way with you. In fact, God's expectations of us in that obedience realm is that we are going to participate with him in this spiritual journey in our life. He expects us, as the scripture says, to work out our salvation to be faithful and obedient in all that he has called us to be. But because that lingering self will kind of stick around, it's not always easy to be obedient, is it? We all fail at times in that obedience realm. But we have, as Paul reminded us in chapter 12 of Romans, as we are going through this book pretty methodically, uh, we're in chapter 13 now, but he reminded us in chapter 12 that we are to renew our mind. We are to be transformed. We're to be holy and living sacrifices for him. And in that transformation, this new living in Christ, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we are to have the character of Christ in us. It's to be exhibited 
from us. We are actually to have that inner desire to be obedient to him. And to be honest with you, to do the Father's will should for you be evidence of your salvation. For you to have that desire to be obedient and to do his will should be evidence of your salvation. Now, the the best saints in the world will occasionally fail and disobey. But every time that that happens, our conscience begins to bother us. Until you repent of that sin, that disobedience, your conscience is going to bother you. And you need to take care of that. You need to repent because disobedience is contrary to the will of God. When we are living into the call that God has on us, for us as a believer, that desire should be present. And as we desire to live into the will of God, we will see that our hope changes. We will see that we are encouraged in ways that we haven't been before because we're living into the will and the purpose that God has for us in our life. So the first question you might want to ask yourself, I need to ask myself, am I living into that obedience that God has called me to? Now, Paul reminds us in this 13th chapter, he says, as we talked about last week, we have authority over us. And that authority, even in government, is over us. But he reminds us that there is no authority except that comes from God. In other words, God has put people in place. God has this ultimate authority over us. And he tells us, even in the text from last week, we are to pay our taxes. We are to honor and respect those that are over us. And now, as we finish this chapter 13, Paul will give us admonitions. He's going to say, look, you need to put on Christ. You need to have Christ in your life in such a way that others can see it, that others know whose you are, and how you are living your life. And these expectations and admonitions, they're not suggestions. They're actually commands. You have your Bibles and want to follow along. Chapter 13, I'll be reading from verse 8 through the end of the chapter. Hear this now, the word of God. Owe nothing to anyone except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor, has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does does no wrong to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is near to us, nearer to us than when we believe. 
The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in a carousing and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you hold for us through this, your holy word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, at first glance, it appears that the Apostle is making a radical trans, uh, transition. He's telling us, declaring that all Christians have a type of perpetual indebtedness. Now, completely apart from financial considerations or situations, all believers, listen, all believers have an obligation to love others. To love others. Yes, we are to pay our debts. Yes, borrowing is okay. I've heard people say, though, the, the Bible speaks against borrowing. Well, no, borrowing is actually okay. But it tells us that we must pay it back, that you are not to owe someone, you're not to cheat someone. And how we do that, he's already told us, don't cheat the government of the taxes. And now he's telling us, just Make sure that you, know, you, you pay that indebtedness. But there's something more important here, he says. You have an obligation. You have an obligation to love one another. In fact, this obligation is something that you cannot pay off. One of our early church fathers, Origen, said this, and I quote, The debt of love remains with us permanently, and never leaves us. This is a debt which we pay every day and forever owe. And so this gracious provision that the Lord has given us, this gracious, wonderful love that he has poured into us, he expects us to render that to others. And he actually gives us the resource to do it. And that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. By putting on Christ, by living into the Holy Spirit, we are able to love others as Christ loved us. And so there are three things to start with we're going to look at. And then in the latter part of the text, we're going to look at three other things. The first thing is that this love applies to fellow believers. In other words, when we're in the church, we're to love one another. We are brothers and sisters. You remember a few weeks ago, I talked about us being brothers and sisters related to one another. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And listen to what he says. By this, all men will know 
that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so to love as Christ is to serve as Christ. You remember in Matthew 25, and in fact, Paul talks about this uh, back in uh, earlier in the latter part of chapter 12, and he talked about how we're to care for one another. In Matthew 25, Jesus said this, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then listen to how he finishes that. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did this to one of the least of brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And so we are to love one another in Jesus Christ. In, Paul, in uh, John's letter, his first letter that he wrote, he reminds us that the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for him to stumble. He commands us that we're to have love as Christ loved in 3.23 in that first letter. And he admonishes us, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. This is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God would also love his brother. And so we as fellow Christians are to love one another, to care for one another. The Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 3, And so, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing up one another and forgiving each other. Whomever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also forgive. And beyond these things, put on love because love is perfected in unity. Believers, we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to love one another in the church. It brings about unity. It gets away the dissent that happens in the church. And when we can love one another and when we can forgive one another and when we can be in unity with one another, the church is able to do the things that God has called it to do. When dissent is in the church, the church will focus on those things. It will become something of a focus away from, and Satan will use those things for his purpose to bring disunity instead of unity in the church. We are to love one another as believers. But he also calls us to love unbelievers. This also applies to the unbeliever. Now, the unbeliever may be someone that you don't like very well. The unbeliever may be someone that you are actually not friends with. But do you remember what the Lord said in Matthew 5, 44? 
You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but, and there's a big but there, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them who persecute you. There are many ways for us to, dis, uh, to demonstrate God's love in the lost world that we live in. One of the ways, one of the most supreme ways, uh, most important ways is to show our love to maybe someone that we don't care for or someone that has wronged us or someone that's maybe different than us, looks different than us, acts different than us. Now, we're not going to subvert or not preach or teach the truth. You know that we will stand on the truth, but we're to do so in love. For the unbeliever, probably one of the best ways for us to present the gospel of Jesus Christ is to show them love exactly where they're at. Godly love is forgiving We are to be kind to those around us, whether believer or unbeliever. We're to be tenderhearted. We're to be forgiving. We're to forgive as Christ forgives. Remember that promise, if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But there's a sober warning that follows that. We often kind of leave that off. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Ephesians 4.2 calls us to godly love that characterizes humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. These, are need, these need to be the characteristics that we have as the believer as we go out into the lost world. The greatest test of godly love to someone else would be, are we willing to sacrifice our own needs for someone else? Or are we willing to give up something so that someone else's welfare might be taken care of? In order to love as God commands, we have to submit be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we put hatred aside. We put animosity aside. We put bitterness and revenge and pride that stands between us and others. In other words, we are called to love everyone. Everyone. I didn't say we are called to love everyone's actions. I didn't say we're called to love sin that someone that we know might be committing. But we are called to love everyone, and this love matters. The love of God commands us to be pure, to be genuine, because love cannot coexist with hypocrisy. Love is a matter of choice. Now, the Holy Spirit as a believer, will urge you, will want you, desires for you and me to love. But ultimately, you will make that choice 
of whether you love someone else and how you treat someone else. You will voluntarily either love them or not. And when you love that person, when you express love for someone, and especially someone that is outside your, your realm of maybe influence, as you love as Christ loves, as you share that love, it will energize you. It will do something to you that you haven't normally experienced because you are living into what God has called you to do, what God has called you to be. We must be obedient to the Spirit, and we will see the fruits of our labor because of that obedience. The Apostle Paul lists in this chapter, in this section, five specific Old Testament laws. Four of them come from the Ten Commandments. No, they're not in the right order uh, from you know, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but they're there. And the fifth one that he mentions comes from Leviticus, the 19th chapter and the 18th verse. And so as we look at these commands, as we think about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand that living into these commands means that we will not harm one another. We're not, we don't have that desire to harm one another. When we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and love the way the Lord loves, well, frankly, we won't sleep with our neighbor's wife or husband. We won't commit adultery. We won't go and murder our neighbor. We won't poison his dog. We won't throw our bags of trash over his fence and think that's okay. We're not going to do harm to our neighbor. We're not going to steal from our neighbor. In fact, we're not going to borrow his lawnmower and just assume that a year later that's okay because we didn't give it back to him. We're just not going to do that. We're not going to covet what he has. Just because our neighbor has a pool in their backyard does not give you the right to lust after it or that brand new SUV in the driveway. What we should do as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, putting on Christ, we actually should rejoice in what our neighbor has, thanking God that he or she is able to have those things. Rejoice in it instead of lusting after it. These commandments remind us of how we're to live. But I want to tell you something. If you have the love of Christ in you, if you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about breaking the Ten Commandments. You don't have to worry about this law to love your neighbor as yourself from Leviticus 19.18. Because you will be living it. If you love the way Christ has called you to love as a believer, then you are going to live that out in your everyday life. It's going to be how you express the living God that lives in you. And so the first part of this text reminds us that we are to First, love our fellow believers, this body of Christ, those who love Christ and have given their life to Christ. Also, we are to love unbelievers, everyone else. And if we live the way Christ has called us to live, we will not have any desire to harm anyone. 
But Paul now transitions in the latter part of this text, and it's almost like you think, well, wait a minute, is this something different? And it's really not, because you look at verse 11, and he says, do this. In other words, verse 10, love does, not, does no wrong to the neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. Do this. He is calling us to do it, but what he says first is there is an urgency of waking up. Wake up, church, is what he is telling us. If we have this source of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, if we have this divinely rooted love in us, as we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to be faithful and obedient and begin to grow in Christ in ways increasing, putting on the clothes of Christ, clothing us in his righteousness, clothing us in his holiness, becoming more and more like him. As we become more and more like Christ, his character is reflected in us. I should be able to see that in you. You should be able to see that in me. This imagery that Paul gives us here of putting on the clothes. Sanctification is being clothed in Christ. We are to put on Christ. And this symbolic putting on of the clothes, clothing ourselves in Christ, is so prevalent in Scripture. It is interesting how the early rabbis looked at this. The rabbis talked about being true worshipers, and that if you are a true worshiper of Jehovah God, that you will clothe yourself with his Shekinah glory. Now think about that. That you would clothe yourself with his Shekinah glory. That actually people looking at you could see the glory of God through your life. How awesome is that? That God would call us to being clothed in him, reflection of him. Paul admonishes the Ephesians and says, Lay aside your old self, which has been corrupted in the ordinances of lust and deceit. And then he says, Be renewed in your spirit of your mind, putting on a new self. Putting on this new self, clothing yourself which is the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness in his truth. So as we look at Ephesians 4, we see this clothing of righteousness, this clothing that has been created, this holiness of truth in Christ Jesus. Have to wake up, church. We've become lethargic. We've become lazy. We've become complacent. And Paul says that it's near. The hour is near. The time is gone. The day is here. The expectancy is here. Paul reminds us it's urgent that Christ is going to return. And you might say, well, wait a minute. Now, it's been almost 2,000 years since this letter was written, and Christ hasn't returned yet. And Paul was writing at the time, and he's telling us, oh, wake up, church. The time is near. The day is at hand. 
And now we're almost 2,000 years later? Well, my guess is, is we're closer than he was then to Christ's return today. And secondly, we're only a blip in time. And we are to live in our time for the right purpose that God has called us to. And it's urgent. He has called us to share this good news of the gospel at this time in our life. What little time that we have because we are nothing more than just a blip on the map. But God has called us to be urgent about it. So that we understand that apathy and complacency and indifference has no place for us. The Encyclopedia Britannica defines sleep as, in this text, a state of inactivity. Listen, a loss of consciousness, a decrease in responsiveness in things that are taking place. And so Paul is reminding us that we cannot be unconscious or unresponsive or inactive concerning the things of God. Every believer, every church, every body of Christ should wake up. We should wake up. There's no place for laziness in our spiritual life as we walk with Christ. Paul declares that the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Spiritual unbelief and rebellion and sin has no place, not in our life. Because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Christ's return is at hand. And then he says, we need to be careful. We need to lay aside. In other words, we need to throw off the deeds of darkness. And we need to put on the armor of light. Hebrews 12.1 says, Lay aside every incumbent's. And every sin which so easily entangles us. Paul is reminding us that we are to set aside, we are to throw off this deed of darkness, these things that the world would, Satan would cause for us to delve into, this spiritual darkness. And if we put on the armor of light, capital L, God, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If we put on his light, this divine protection is around us. The spiritual darkness can't come in as we clothe ourselves, as we put this armor of light around us. And when we put the full armor on, we're putting on Christ. We're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the schemes of the devil will not be able, able to pervade against us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are children of light. And we are to properly behave. We are to live into this sanctified life that Christ has called us to. As Christians, not only are we to be holy and obedient, but our lives should be significant when it comes to the call of the Lord's 
desire for us as we live out this life with him. Those that do not understand the coming judgment of God, they have no understanding of any of what I am talking about. But we as believers understand when Paul calls us, when God calls us to walk with him, in concert with him, along with him, through the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit, as a Christian, our life should be characterized by holy conduct and holy godliness. And so Paul lists a number of specific characteristics of spiritual darkness or spiritual sins that we often exhibit other than delight. This night of unrighteousness rather than the day of righteousness. And he says that if we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not going to carouse. We're not going to play the field as it be. We're not going to be in drunkenness. It's not going to be a part of our life. Now hear me, he did not say that you could not have a drink. He says you are not going to be part of drunkenness. That it's not going to be your focus. It's not going to be what controls your life. Sexual immorality of all types will no longer be a part of your life, Paul says. If we put on Christ, we are not going to live in strife. We're not going to live in jealousy. These things have disappeared from us because we are clothed. We've put on Christ. And we have that hedge of protection of the light of God around us. Now, I don't know about you. My guess is these, this would be true, but I can tell you it's true about me. And that was once I was very foolish. I was foolish and I lived in disobedience, deception. I was enslaved to the lust of the world, the pleasures, spending time in envy, hating others, especially those that I didn't care for. But when I submitted my life to Christ wholly, when I surrendered my life to him, things changed. His mercy began to wash over me. And not only his mercy for me, but his mercy that he has for others. In fact, he instilled in me that I was to offer grace. He poured Jesus into my life, justifying me through grace, calling me to faith through the Holy Spirit, giving me hope of eternal life. And my guess is, is that has happened to you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that your hope has been found in him. And as you have put on Christ, you have began to be sanctified. Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way that we live into this sanctified life that we have been called to. There just is no other way. We can't do it ourselves. In fact, I will tell you, we won't do it ourselves. But God gives us the power through the Holy Spirit. 
he gives us this call to obedience in him. We are called to be obedient to his will and his purpose. And so my final question would be this, church. How are we doing putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? And individually, only you and I can answer that question. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this ability to put on your son, to have the indwelling Holy Spirit and to clothe ourselves in righteousness. In fact, Father, it is your desire and it's our desire as believers to live into this righteousness of obedience that you've called us to. We shouldn't want to harm anyone. We should want to love everyone. Uh, we should not live into the desires and the lust of this world. We should put on the light of Jesus Christ so that others can see Christ in me. Father, we just ask that it would be so. Let us lay aside those things that hinder us. Let us take care of those things that we need to take care of that separate us from one another. Father, I pray that we would be able to love like you. And I pray this in your holy name.